0: Welcome to the In the Oil Patch Radio Show, broadcasting from the SR Trident Studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch Radio Show with Kim Bilotto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more. Right here on In the Oil Patch Radio Show.
1: And welcome to In The Old Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Otto and today we have a great show lined up for you. We'll be joined by Nick and Ben with Climate Commodities. But first, I'd like to tell you about our latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which we featured Nick Dulles, who is the CEO of CNX Resources. Now, they are a new refining company that's located in the Marcellus Shell, which is near Pittsburgh. So we're pretty excited about being able to feature them and talking about what's happening in the Pittsburgh area. It's an article and an issue that you don't want to miss. Plus, there's a whole lot of other great stories in there, especially if you want to know more about oil, gas, and energy. For more information, please go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and I'd like to also invite you to join me at our State of Energy in Houston, Texas. It is set for April 21st. It is a luncheon. Our keynote speaker will be the commissioner of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, along with a great set of panelists. We will be joined by the CEO of Howard Energy, Mike Howard, also the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, Sean Strawbridge, and the Vice President of Argus Media Group, Bruce Fullenwire. It's a luncheon that you do not want to miss. For more information and to purchase tickets or to sponsor the event, please go to shellmag.com and click on the banner ad purchase your ticket. This will be a sold out event. I look forward to seeing you there. Now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host and the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show.
2: Hey, it's another beautiful day in the All patch.
1: It's absolutely fabulous weather. And I know I say that week after week um, and I'm enjoying it. And it's it's the season for spring. So all of the pastel colors and everything are coming out. And as a woman, we get excited about that. It's time to get- Shopping, spring cleaning, just a lot of different things. Speaking of shopping and spring cleaning, I want to jump into oil prices because um, I think that there's a lot of people struggling right now with Easter and traveling and getting ready for summer and trying to make decisions. So I want to talk about our favorite topic, oil prices. Um, We had a moderate week last week and it ran back again in this past week to 110 a barrel. So I want to discuss why are we seeing these swings and fluctuations uh, in the price?
2: Yeah, uh, so it, it's it's all having to do with the crisis over in Europe and Putin's despicable war in Ukraine. Um, you know, two weeks ago, the price rocketed up by about twenty dollars a barrel when Joe Biden announced his ban on crude oil imports from Russia in the United States and and the UK did the same thing and, and the market was thinking, well, the whole EU might do it. But then it became apparent the EU wasn't going to do it and the price collapsed over the next four or five trading days back down into the 90s, went from $128 a barrel to $95 a barrel on West Texas Intermediate. And since then, what's really happened is is uh, the regular market forces are now dictating what's happening in the market again. We, we still have a war premium on the price, but it's maybe five to $10 a barrel instead of 20 to $25 a barrel. And the rest of it is just the fact that the market is undersupplied. And undersupplied as you and I have talked about really since late last summer. And it's behaved exactly as we've talked about on this show every week since then and it's going to continue to behave as we talk about because it's all very predictable um and you know the the fact is you have an undersupplied market the price is going to go up now we're seeing signs of an economic slowdown coming though and and that's what can stop oil prices from rising in this particular market situation would be an economic slowdown which hopefully won't turn into a recession but uh you know, given the way things are going, I'm, I'm not sure we can be all that optimistic that we'll avoid that. But but that's what's really happening. We just have, we don't have enough oil production on the market. Inventories are falling in the United States and everywhere else. And uh, my gosh, the the inventory at Cushing, Oklahoma, which is the biggest uh, concentration of, of oil storage in the United States is uh, set a record low last week. And it's at very dangerously low levels. And so that could cause a spike here in the United States that doesn't really, even uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily be caused by global market forces. So um, it's a it's a tough situation right now, um, and and there's really other than an economic slowdown, I don't really see any any way uh, that the the price will not continue to rise.
1: And you know, David, but I want our listeners to kind of understand. It's like the balloon. <laughs> Your balloon, and you squeeze on one side, it's going to expand on the other. And these prices, you know, if you follow what the price of crude is doing, you can expect that at the pump. But are there any chances, or what do you think? Your uh, the expectation could be of a global recession
2: as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that it's it's looking a lot like two thousand and eight again, and and that would be a global recession. And we, you know, it it's it's with the combination of, of COVID and, you know, there's another variant lurking right around the corner somewhere. Um, and, and this war happening has the, the potential to really damage the economy, uh, not just in Europe and Russia, but really all over the world. And, uh, China's economy has been slowing down for a year now. Um, you know, it, it just, there's every potential that, uh, you know, we could fall into a recession here and and, and the inflation that's been happening that's really out of control. I, you know, I know they say it's 7%, 8% inflation, but everybody knows that uh, grocery store prices are 20 to 30% higher than they were mm-hmm. a year ago mm-hmm. and gas prices have doubled and, and we all know the real rate of inflation is much higher than what the government is telling us.
1: Right, because they know they see it in what they can purchase the, yeah. the average consumer. so let's so let's that leads me to my next question. The higher oil prices lead, of course, as I said earlier, get higher gas prices at the pump. Now yeah. some Democrats in Congress are are introducing a bill that gives a hundred dollar rebate for high gas prices every month. <laughs> but you know the, the the question I have is, you look at what's happening on social media, and $100 isn't covering anything for anyone at the pump in the sense of making any kind of, of real uh, assistance to them. So not to mention they're also framing it. I love how they're framing it. Oh, it is the price gouging of the big oil companies. No, it's not.
2: No, it's not. Um,
1: Let's yeah. talk the truth. Tell the American people, tell our listeners what really is happening here. And do you think a $100 rebate is really going to help anyone? <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, it, it would help, but only in an immediate sense. How are you going to fund a hundred dollar a month rebate for every adult American, right? Uh, you're going to have to do it with more deficit spending. Well, deficit spending is what's causing the runaway inflation in the first place. So what Congress and these Democrats are planning to do or what they want to do in this bill is to print trillions more dollars and put it into the money supply. And that's going to cause prices to go even higher. Um, So they've created this problem of runaway inflation in the first place. And now their solution is another bill that would create even more runaway inflation because it's even more debt spending and more trillions of dollars into the money supply. This is simple, economics 101 that anybody who went to college for a year business school had to learn and it unfortunately economics 101 is apparently not a class anyone in the democratic party managed to pass uh and so we end up with stupid bills like it's a stupid idiotic bill that would only make the problem they've created even worse and uh Hopefully, it'll be resoundingly rejected uh, well, by the Senate and the House.
1: Hopefully, and I can tell you that I think that November cannot come fast enough for every single American to vote out these horrible policymakers. Talk about the Security and Exchange Commission in my nationally syndicated energy minute that we produce for our stations. Uh, we discussed Security and Exchange Commission that they decided to uh, get into the climate change business, mm-hmm. and. Uh, It basically is a proposal regulation that's going to govern now climate-related disclosures on financial statements this week. Should the SEC be trying to set environmental policies? What expertise do they have in this?
2: Well, they don't have any. I mean, obviously they shouldn't. Um, But, you know, Joe Biden promised in his campaign to mount a, quote, whole-of-government approach to implementing the Green New Deal aoc's big idea um and so this is the sec has a
1: lot of she has a lot of scientific <laughs> data in her background too or yeah, she's right. definitely she's a, very experienced in this area yeah mm-hmm. she's
2: a real genius um and, and that's what this is it's the sec you know they have to do something to get into environmental policy and this is what they're doing there is zero environmental expertise or climate change expertise at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, This is a regulation that would create a formula now for companies to have to report their emissions profile, uh, which ESG investor groups have been forcing on them for 15 years now. Now we're gonna formalize that process in a one size fits all regulation. And as anybody who knows anything about this knows, uh, measuring these emissions is a, as an esoteric art. It's not a science. It's not something you can just put in a formula that everybody uses. And so it's going to be wrong for most companies, yet it's going to be used by these environmentalist groups to sue companies endlessly. And the result is going to be what? The result is going to be higher energy costs for everyone. So it's only going to make the problem the Democrats have already created even worse, even more severe. And I guess maybe, you know, in a year or two, they'll propose a rebate for the SEC regulation high prices. It's such a cynical political exercise. And it's the Democratic Party. I'm sorry, folks. It's not the Republicans doing this. It's the Democrats.
1: Exactly. Get to the ballot box or go vote in November and wipe them all out because this, this, these energy prices are ridiculous. The policies the pricing, uh, and it is truly hurting American people. David, that is all the time we have for this segment. But when we return, we will be joined by Nick and Ben with Climate Commodities. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right
0: back. SR Trident is a proud sponsor of State of Energy. 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Thursday, April 21st, starting at 1130 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Porta Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for the State of Energy Luncheon in Houston on April 21st, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. Sponsored in part by SR Trident.
1: And we're back. You're listening to in the Wall Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Nick and Ben. They are with Climate Commodities out of Dallas. Ben, let me um, ask you. Give us a little bit of insight into your background of how you and Nick started to create Climate Commodities.
3: Yeah. So my my background was very, very much along the the traditional Wall Street investing path, but uh, in the commodities industry. So. Yeah, I did investment banking and, and soon after came to the commodities industry into uh, Louis Dreyfus Energy, which is currently Castleton Commodities. Okay. So, a large prop shop, and, uh, and, and ran money there as a portfolio manager, both in the public and private markets, and later had moved that strategy to Millennium, which is a large hedge fund out of New York. I think. You know, what we've experienced in the commodity side over the last decade plus, when I think back to when I started, you know you had a lot of the ex Enron guys, you had you know, a contingency of the classic you know, commodity trader and the classic commodity shop. Over the past decade, you know it's been a very difficult industry for people and a lot of those you know senior people have retired, uh, and at, at, the, at the same time, it hasn't been the most attractive seat for some of the younger generation. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people I started with, you know, they're, they're in, into tech or they're mining Bitcoin right. now. Right. And uh, there's been a lot of other industries that have been more attractive. They've attracted more capital. And a lot of commodity shops and Wall Street firms have reduced the risk and headcount uh, in, this, in this industry. At the same time, you know, Nick and I find this to be the most fascinating point for commodities globally because you have this dearth of talent, uh, which have you know, left or resigned over the last decade. And at the same time, we have the greatest shift in supply-demand dynamics across multiple commodity and commodity verticals now that you know, we've probably seen in several decades, if not you know, ever.
1: Very interesting. So, it must be a little bit difficult because you both look fairly young and to be um, in the commodities end, but of course you guys are not, according to you guys that you're not. But it is a little difficult to to kind of, you guys really appear young. So, do you have any pushback on on that specifically, your age? And, and, And the company is what, a year, year and a half old?
4: So so I I think it's it's a good point, you know, and it's interesting. uh, Because in
1: this business, it's really Uh, hard to get, you know, respect and and commanded in certain ways if you don't know. And but you guys, you're not newbies to to this is my main well,
4: point. Speaking to that point a bit, you know, my first job in the energy industry was actually a roughneck. Uh, and my family, I grew up in Tulsa, my whole family's in the oil and gas industry. Um, they built a sizable midstream business um, and really focused on the, the good old boy, you work yeah. your way up, it's your time when it's your time. But I yeah. think what's interesting is that um, this energy transition has created, has been mentioned, a generational workforce transition okay. that's created a shortage of people who understand the material side of the energy transition. You know, I take for example, an electric vehicle is six times more minerals than an ice vehicle, right? right? So there are some of these structural transitions that necessitate skill sets that are present in the current current energy ecosystem. So it was, I, I personally do look pretty young, I, I, I will say. But with that being said, uh, the knowledge base relative to the senior counterparties in our industry, you know, the best part about this business and the biggest catalyst for us and why we think um, the, the, the timing is right, this, the, the tools you need from a bank finance and insurance perspective to run the business we have, we're, have not been around for longer than we have. We saw this and we capitalized on it immediately. On the other side of that, you know, in other industries, if we're running a fixed income energy fund, for example, or a traditional private equity fund, there's a senior person that says, hey, this is, you know, I've been doing this for 50 years, this is how this works, but that doesn't exist where we are. Right. right. Um,
1: so this is fairly, fairly new territory for just about everyone. Ben, Nick, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Old Pat Trader Show, and
0: we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals or dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361 361- 776 2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Psst, hey,
1: you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas?
0: Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business, so you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is
1: the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network.
2: Any cost to join?
1: For the next 90 days, it's completely free, no charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash Teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you
5: set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak
0: today. SR Trident is a proud sponsor of State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Thursday, April 21st, starting at 1130 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners. Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for the state of energy luncheon in Houston on April 21st, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com mag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash state of energy. Sponsored in part by SR Trident. Remember this
5: name, oil experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil equipment needs. Oilfield Experts specialty is those hard to find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts 210 471 1923. Again, that's 210 471 1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. 210 240 7188. Again, that's 210 240 7188.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Nick and Ben. They are with Climate Commodities out of Dallas guys, before the break, we were talking a little bit about your company. It's fairly new, cutting edge. You guys are very young. Extremely bright. And you're kind of telling me a little bit about what you guys are doing in this new space. So let's go back to how unique are you guys compared to your competitors tell us what you guys specifically are attempting to do in the way of i know in your you know mission what you guys are trying to do is specializing in uh you know physical trading logistics transportation and commercialization services but in 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 raw materials break that down a little bit more of the energy sector and specifically how you guys are benefiting them as well as uh anything else that might be of you know use in the way of the community and stuff
4: I, I can take this one. So when you, when you think about just using some direct examples, right, let's take, there's there's two sides to our business, right, uh, long-term and short-term, right, let's take, you know, you are a, poly, let's say for example, you are a solar panel manufacturer and you require polysilicon as an input, right, mm-hmm. in that situation what you're going to do is you're going to want to pay for that polysilicon right when it hits your factory floor, right, okay. and you're, in conjunction with that managing large investments that are in access to what you've done before due to the growth in your industry. So you really need a partner who's going to go pay the supplier day one and extend credit terms to you so you can pay in 90 days when it hits your floor in a product format, somebody who understands your industry. That is one thing we do. Okay. On the other side of the this- The
1: financing part of it.
4: it. On the other side, yes, on the other side of this, if you are a producer of a commodity that's deemed a clean technology output, say graphite for example, for you to scale up your business quickly, you need a partner that can provide you long-term contracts and work with you dynamically on the performance guarantee related insurance on the product and really enable you to focus on the technology, not going over on cost as you're building and really being an engineering focused business, right? So that's what we do. I think how that plays into the development of a Western supply chain specific to the clean energy economy, um, there's, there's a couple of things there. On the one hand, in most cases, just like the oil and gas industry, there's a midstream intermediary process um, that really is centered around processing. Um, and the idea is that you know, building solar panels, building wind farms, when that's built, there's a software system that maintains that, right? So just like the the Different but similar to the oil and gas industry, that midstream processing area um, is where you're going to get the jobs and the economic development. And now with newer technologies, also um, your climate positive um, investments in these communities are going to create recurring jobs, 20-year jobs in an ecosystem that's linked to this megatrend,
1: right? And I was going to ask you that because you guys are fairly young again. I'm, I'm not sure if you're millennials, or and I don't mean to keep harping on this, but I think that there's a I think there has been an unsexiness about oil and gas in the space of traditional oil and gas, and now that we see the energy evolution or transition occurring, is it? Do you see a lot of the younger people are more attracted, like you guys, extremely intelligent? Uh, high-performing, and you guys are not walking away from the oil and gas industry, and I'm wondering if this is something that, I know your family's from the oil and gas sector, so you probably, you know, just, this was you were born into it, but it, I guess I want to know, do you feel that with the evolution occurring and the technology that's also coming out, do you think it's a vibrant uh, space for the younger generation to continue to look in working in oil and gas? in some some ways financial or I,
3: I think that's a, a great question and I think as you look forward
1: because I wish our listeners could see how young you guys are but you know you're not young and you're not inexperienced you're very experienced but you do look young and it's when we're dealing with the average CEO is 65 to 70 <laughs> it's a little different to see young faces and it's refreshing
3: yeah you know I, I think it, it's a great question and I think having Having a lot of experience on the traditional oil and gas side and in the, in the kind of the older, uh, more well defined commodity areas, you know, fossil fuels are going to be a part of the global energy mix uh, for now, for, for for now through, you know, throughout our, our lifetimes. And uh, we're aware of that. At the same time, there's clearly a big shift and focus from everyone including oil and gas professionals knowing that there is a transition taking place and you know everyone wants to be a part of that or at least aware of that in some way and i think there's you know as we look at it we're at a probably the most amazing time in energy amazing exciting
1: yes and that's what there's a lot
3: of change a lot of change happening and it's impacting anyone from the you know if you're you're in midland uh, or you know if you're in New York
1: you know, in, in or London, London or yeah. anywhere else anywhere. in the world everyone's right.
3: focused on this and I think there's a lot of great skill sets on the commodity and energy side which you know some of them have dwindled right there's been a lot of people that have gotten out of this space capital's been difficult right at the same time capitals come in on the and the transition side and I think there's there's a you know, lot there's there a lot to happen to push for, it through and
1: yeah when, when we get back from break i want to talk about what have you guys seen in the 10 years and then i do want to get on the war of what's happening with russia's invasion into ukraine you have to take a quick break you're listening to in the little patch radio show and we'll be right back we're back. Nick and Ben, my guest today, is with Climate Commodities of Dallas. Guys, before the break, we were kind of talking a little bit about your business, your business model. Listeners know you're fairly young and extremely intelligent and smart, and you definitely look like you know your way around this space. But in in 10 years, you know, I'm looking at the Millennials, I'm looking at Generation X. What have you seen evolving over these past 10 years in the area of commodities for you guys with the transition occurring?
3: There's a tremendous amount of change happening right now.
1: It's exciting,
3: yes. There's a lot of shift in supply-demand dynamics across all energy verticals, transition uh, climate commodities or traditional oil and gas, as we see today. This has been, uh, you know, there's been a renewed focus here in the last couple of years because of supply chain disruptions, sensitivity towards particular geographic regions, China, and of course now, now Russia uh, and the Ukraine, but uh, over the last decade, you know, it's been a it's been a difficult place for people. You've had a lot of senior talent that's retired or quit, Correct. or you know, the, the capital dedicated to the space is reduced from mm-hmm. Wall Street and commodity firms. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the, a lot of the more junior people that worked for them left left the industry, and uh, it probably. Bad, bad timing. Because we now have more change going on in the commodity world than probably ever before, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the the talent uh, pool is probably dwindled quite yeah. a bit. So it, right. it'll be an interesting, interesting time.
1: Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk. As we sit here, you know, coming to coming to our listeners live from Sarah Week of S and P Global, um, it's apparent that. We're hitting a hundred and thirty dollars a barrel as of today, um, and this is pretty uh, uncharted waters. But a lot of it has to do with what's happening in Russia invading Ukraine. So tell me a little bit about the what you guys are seeing specifically with the with the invasion right now. What wild? I mean, we see the wild changes in pricing, but are you seeing other things in the way of deals that are very interesting? And Forecasting a little bit of the future, I know that there's been discussions and talks on trying to ceasefire, but that hasn't worked so far. So, go ahead. Nick. I think that you know
4: the the, the important thing to, to understand at this juncture, coming out of a global pandemic, a once in a hundred year event, you you see wounded countries from an economic perspective now facing on an inflation-adjusted basis higher oil than at the peak uh, prior to the financial crisis. So you're, you're, we're in a situation where you know this is supplemented by grain shortages and agricultural issues emitting from this conflict that create these ancillary effects in places such as Northern Africa where you have uh, considerable trading counterparties to Ukraine um, that will destabilize very quickly notwithstanding the economic issues that come from the pandemic. So I think that what we've seen from a customer perspective um, is a mix of, one, a shift to security of supply at a reasonable price relative to absolute price sensitivity uh, in some of these razor thin margin uh, end markets. Um, And on the other side of this too, I think that we we have started to see stockpiling, uh, which is is somewhat concerning, uh, but is natural given the exacerbated nature of this conflict and the fact that this is, um, you know, again a a once-in-multiple-decade event. So I think that what we're seeing is a heightened risk of destabilization and trading counterparties um, of Ukraine, of Russia, and then this is this is poured into chip manufacturing, the agricultural the market, um, which already. And chip market, for example, you know, there's already a shortage, right? So some of these trends that have emanated from the pandemic have been exacerbated considerably in a short period of time. And now we're up against um, further inflationary pressures, further global uh, geopolitical events that are creating destabilization um, and in this energy transition. So I, I think the idea is that it's, it's gonna be a security of supply game in the interim uh, and any beneficiary of reasonable pricing is going to be a huge winner in this area. I think that the idea is security versus absolute price sensitivity in the near term and over the long term really blending and extending some of these stable counterparty relationships, especially in the Western world, to get line of sight into security of supply as people start to think about geopolitical and risk modeling, specific to some of these uh, energy transition sensitive commodities. Um, modeling one, based on the current geopolitical situation, and two, um, if we enter a prolonged period of underinvestment in the oil sector on the back end of this, um, what that looks like in a heightened oil price environment. As you know, I think Ben mentioned uh, quite astutely, is that you know, the hydrocarbon complex is still a significant input uh, into clean energy technologies. Correct.
1: I wish people really understood that because they, they don't understand. They just think that you're going to be able to get off of it. It's like not quite so fast. Ben, tell me a little bit about the uncertainties in your clients though. Like, It's it's pretty hard to determine which way to go or what route. And You're really looking for good sound advice with everything occurring so fast but also uh, there's a shortage to access to money to fund events new research new projects uh, we have a shortage so how are you all helping clients deal with these uncertainties especially in the area of green energy and of course climate solutions how does this work with them
3: yeah I, you know I, I think people broadly across the globe are you know reawakening to the to the fact that commodities matter, and mm-hmm. your supply chain, and commodity supply chain matter. matters considerably. <laughs> right. I think a lot of folks pre-COVID uh, <clears throat> kind of dismissed that or, or forgot about it, viewed it as a, a kind of an old, old world industry, as one person described to me. Uh, so I think going forward, I think this. You know, we've had a number of events that have made people refocus and I think broadly speaking this this impacts you know it just doesn't impact oil and gas it doesn't just impact people on the green energy side of things this impacts all companies of all industries uh, and everyone now is is looking at the broader uh, you know everybody's thinking about emissions and their their impact on on the world Public companies are being forced to have mandates around this. this Correct. This the tracking of ESG stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, part of our solution to that is you know, to help companies of, of all types understand their supply chain needs. Okay. Uh, and in particular, on in the you know, climate commodity realm, I think there's a. There's a big gap of, uh, of talent and capital and resource that can help, help supply those, both in the short term and, and the long term. That's what we're, Very we're, good. we're there for.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to And the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: SR Trident is a proud sponsor of State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Thursday, April 21st, starting at 1130 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Fort of Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for the State of Energy Luncheon in Houston on April 21st, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. Sponsored in part by SR Trident.
5: Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website shalemag.com once again that's shale s h a l e mag mag.com to learn more shale is your one stop shop for growing your business pick up the phone today and call 210 240 7188 again 210 240 7188
1: And we're back. My guest today is Nick and Ben with Climate Commodities of Dallas. Guys, we've kind of talked about what your business model is. And um, now I want to kind of switch gears and talk about advice that you would give companies um, that are specifically in this country of, you know, um, how, how, what should they be looking out for? And then also, um, I want to keep talking on. Uh, technology and, and advice on in that area and then I also want to talk about the raw materials you guys are specifically talking about you mentioned earlier EVs the President Biden State of the Union was very specific about him believing that we're going to get to this EV number electric vehicle number Um But there is a shortage of these minerals necessary to build the batteries, as well as uh, we have challenges here in the United States with being able to put enough charging stations, there's not enough power, Uh, people don't realize you need power, oil and gas to to, to, to charge them. So I wanna specifically ask on that uh, electric vehicles, where do you guys think this is going? Was President Biden's speech, could you buy into what he was saying in the sense of, do, do you see it? I don't see it possible. I'll I'll go on the record. I don't see it possible, but maybe you guys can show me the path.
4: I I think that, you know, if if you look at what the Biden administration is doing um, and you you think about it, just from a a bipartisan perspective, too, this is the first time we've had a sophisticated, critical uh, materials strategy since 1979, since the last oil crisis, right? So, So I think that going back to the idea of complacency and the lack of Proper skill set, individuals focusing on this area yeah. is a broader problem. I think. I think the next thing is if you look at the raw materials that will enable vehicle electrification specifically, you know, you've got uh, lithium, graphite, uh, nickel, um, cobalt. cobalt, rare earths, right, right. As, a, as a main basket right. there. So the, the, the challenge, China
1: kind of has a, a stranglehold on a lot of those resources as well. From right?
4: from a there's there's two sides of it, right, and it varies slightly by the commodity. And without going into um, highly detailed specifics about each. The, the main theme to take away from this is that China does not control the extraction. Um, they control the processing and refining portion of the value chain, which is arguably more important with these specific commodities. Okay. Um, so the idea over the last 20, 30 years, as China has risen um, and joined the global economic situation properly, they've been willing to host some of these dirtier processing and refining technologies and they've been able to do this at a lower cost. As these things get, uh, as these technologies become highly automated, we get sophisticated emission control systems bolted onto them. It makes a lot of sense from really what is uh, the choke point between the United States and Western Europe and a domestic ecosystem specific to the long-term job potential in the electric vehicle supply chain. It's the processing and refining capabilities of these materials. And that's where I see the Biden administration investing um, in two two areas. One, expedited permitting um, being an area where of increasing importance given the amount of time it takes to bring some of these systems online. Um, and on the other side, um, emission reduction technologies in the midstream portion of the supply chain. Um, and then and three, uh, which is the most important thing of a critical materials strategy, is really proper material science R&D and uh, substitution pathways. And, and that's where I think you're going to see uh, irrespective of the, uh, the, from a bipartisan perspective, the. The investment goes towards material science alterations in some of these energy storage devices that go into electric vehicles and go into the power grid. Um, is the last thing I think it's important to to understand in this in this area is that you know once these raw materials go into these end systems, you know a solar panel, an electric vehicle, um, electric vehicle specifically. A lot of the emission savings come from the fact they're not continuously burning something right um at a, at, a, at, a, at a base level so the idea there is that um, different than oil and gas the economic benefit from this comes from the processing refining side where you have let's say 50 60 employees maintaining a facility and really understanding the process knowledge of how that works relative to and the oil and gas industry, you know, at the downstream, midstream, and upstream portion, it's heavily operationally intensive, and hence the economic benefits in the communities that host this, right? So I think that, you know, there needs to be communication of what portion of the value chain creates the economic benefit, and then also there needs to be dialogue and research and development investment that gets us to a material substitution pathway that can mitigate a major geopolitical conflict like we're seeing right now.
1: Okay. So- been in, in closing out the show. Um, tell me some of the companies that you guys have that you all have been able to really help get them going in the right direction. Maybe they came in a little confused. What was it that, or a direction, not confused direction? What is it that uh, you've seen some really great companies and where are they looking to transition or where are they looking for assistance from you guys?
3: Yeah, I, I think there's there's a whole range of companies that we you know we interact with now that are you know they range from everything from a a great set of engineers technologists uh, that have focused on a particular vertical here on the climate economy side some of those on a standalone basis some of those are in you know they're looking for transition uh, from you know more traditional business model and where we've been able to help them is that they may be great scientists and may be great engineers, but a lot of times they don't have the, the full capabilities uh, internally to both be able to get a project, a bus- business to a, you know, to, to a level that looks commercial to investors, banks, uh, the local community or uh, Government and we can plug in there uh, and help them strategically in a, in a number of ways. And one of those main elements is coming to them with a really solid off-take solution that helps in the short term and in the long term. And you know that's that's a part of bringing that that skill set from the kind of the traditional commodities world to this industry as it evolves. And that's typically able to help them quite a, quite a bit, and uh, so that's that's what we're very busy with, and hope to do
5: far more.
1: So a year and a half, you guys are well on your way. Nick, leave us with if uh, our listeners want to get a hold of you guys or want some information, where do they go to get a hold of you guys?
4: So our, our website uh, is is the is the best option. Uh, that's www.climate-commodities.com. Um, our main uh, email address there is info at climate-commodities.com. Um, you can get a hold of, of us directly vis-a-vis that.
1: okay. We'll also put on, uh, when, we, when we post this on social media, we'll also put it as well, the website to get a hold of you guys. Nick, Ben, thank you for stopping by in the Old Patch Radio Show and discussing you guys. Keep up the good work. Love what you're doing. We need more young guys out there really helping the energy industry in a transition most definitely so thank you for being a guest on the show today thank Thank you you so much
5: in the oil patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil gas business and in your community every week your host kim balotto will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast paced industry you'll hear from industry experts elected officials and many more right here on in the oil patch